Hey everyone, welcome to the Beyond the Arc podcast. Once again, I'm with my co-hosts, Yash and Gavin. What's How good? you guys doing? It's doing well, Matt. Great. Thanks for having us again. Yep, so we're going to be doing a series where we're covering all 30 teams in the NBA before the season starts. So the way we're going to do that is five at a time. And we're going to start from worst record in the league to best record. So to start off, we have the five worst record teams from this past year houston orlando detroit okc and indiana um so yeah what are you guys thoughts on overall this group of teams um it's not promising no actually no actually i a correction it is very promising just not right now Uh, these teams are uh behind the eight ball in terms of like getting on a competing level but there are a lot of exciting pieces um on all five of those teams and you know we'll discuss it a little bit later but definitely some teams in contention to make a make a bigger make a leap into higher tiers or higher uh, higher in the standings um this coming season for sure so yeah so we can just hop right into this let's start with the worst team in the nba last year by record the houston rockets at 20 and 62 so in this past offseason, they drafted Jabari Smith Jr., Tari Eason, um, and Ty Ty Washington, re-signed Jashon Tate, three-year, $20.66 million deal, traded Christian Wood to the Mavericks for Boban, Marjanovic, Sterling Brown, Trey Burke, Marquise Chris, and the 26th pick that became Wendell Moore. Um, so yeah, just the Rockets' worst team in the NBA last season. Obviously, there were some culture issues like I don't know if you guys remember that report that came out middle of the season where like Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood just like or Kevin Porter Jr. left the arena in the middle of a game because he'd gone to a fight with John Lucas one of their assistant coaches and then Christian Wood said he's not going to play the rest of that game um so you know not not looking too great but obviously there's some talent on the team um so we can start with Yash Yash where do you want to start with this discussion of Houston we got to start with the good um, and with young teams like this, that usually pointing out to uh, the talent that's on the roster. And, you know, Houston's got a bevy of it. We start at the top with their number two overall pick from, um, <clears throat> or excuse me, number, what? Oh, I'm blanking out. Was Jalen Green number two? He was, yeah, wasn't he? Was. Yes, number two. Yes. Uh, the number two overall pick, Jalen Green. Uh, they drafted Alperon Shangun uh, with the lottery pick as well. Uh, both of them ended up having pretty promising rookie seasons. Uh, Shingun's is more of a surprise uh, to more uh, mainstream media. Um, uh, Usman Garuba was, uh, he didn't have the best rookie season. He ultimately didn't even end up getting much playing time, uh, though he had a promising run in Euro basket and he has a chance to earn his way back into the rotation uh, this coming season. Um, other names include uh, point guard, or at least he, as he was placed, Kevin Porter Jr., uh, as well as, uh, you know, Aaron, uh, K- K- what's his name? Um, KJ Martin, uh, Josh Christopher, just to name a few. Um, and, you know, the thing is with Houston that the point that glares out to me is, uh, you know, they have talent, you know, that's unmistakable. Uh, but the question to me is how all of that fits together. Um, and I, you know, I'm just realizing now that I, I didn't name their uh, number three overall pick this year, Jabari Smith Jr. Uh, but I think the key to Houston this coming season is to figure out how all those pieces fit together um, and sort of build good habits towards winning uh, in that fashion. Yeah, I think one of the big questions that at least I have is, can they just show improvements in culture? Um, I know that's like a very, it's not something you can really quantify at all. But like in that game, I, I was pointing out earlier where like Kevin Porter Jr. left in the middle of the game. Christian Wood said he's not playing the rest of that game. Like the reason for that was they gave up 47 points in this in one quarter against the Nuggets, which is like that just that just shouldn't happen, you know, like when you're an NBA team. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe they will because, you know, Christian Christian Wood is gone. Um, maybe that was kind of like the bad apple in the the team or something like that. Um, but obviously that's just, that's just speculation, but you know, just improvements in culture and the way I guess we can kind of tell of that is just if they can put some like competent play together, 
because I'm—I mean, they were the worst defensive team in the league last year. They were last in defensive rating at one sixteen point four. Um, they were twenty sixth in offensive rating at one hundred eight. Um, and you know, just maybe just like a slight bump, maybe just not being the worst team um, defensively in the league could do something uh, about that. But maybe we can get into the the personnel a little bit about like where they can kind of improve in those areas. So. I mean, it kind of all starts with the five with Alpin Sangoon, right? So I just feel like you're, if you have a good defensive five, or depending on how good your def, your five is on defense, that kind of is an indicator about where your defense is kind of heading. And obviously Sangoon, like he's a little, I guess a little bit like Yogesh in the way where he's somewhat nimble on his feet, but you know, he just struggles and drop just technique wise. Um, just a tendency to gamble off balance sometimes, just, just not a really good drop big. Doesn't really also have the the tools either to like contest shots. If I'm not mistaken, his wingspan isn't something crazy. Gavin, do you have the? Do you remember off the top of your head? It's. I, I actually think. Guy. I think he has like a negative. Wingspan yeah, it was like negative basically. or something. It's. It's not. It's not anything to write home about for sure. So. Yeah. What, what are you? What are your thoughts though? Is him as Sangoon as like the defensive five moving forward for this team? Um. I actually. I like it a lot. I'm. I'm a fan of Sangoon. Like last year. Uh, obviously a lot of what came out like while well, a lot of what was promising about him was on the offensive end um and defensively like you mentioned like he's just he's a little he's he's not completely stuck in the mud when he's in kind of in drop or when he's getting down people are getting downhill on the ball screens on him but he's definitely a little clunky so it's not the highlight of his game but i mean we we were talking about a little bit before the um before the pod like the official measurements that came out from the rockets like and it said that Shengun had gotten a little more uh like like leaner and he lost some weight over the off season, which could um, which could help him going forward just on just keeping up with quicker guards and stuff like that. And also, I just think having him playing in Europe before he came to the NBA, he was drafted um straight out of the um out of European leagues. I think Turkish, that was Turkish league. Tur- I was gonna say Turkish. I didn't know if he was if that was the specific league, but yes, the Turkish league. Like that really helps him like making that transition to NBA. I mean, obviously last year playing on a team like the Rockets was difficult to produce anything positive. And he really did that offensively, but defensively he has that feel and knowledge from playing pro ball before he came to the NBA. So I think I, I expect him to make a smoother transition into the season on the defensive end of the floor. Yeah. On the topic of defense, I think, you know, from the games that I've watched, I see that I saw that Houston did a lot of switching. And, you know, I'd like to refer to a Kane Cooper uh, quote on this. Uh, she's someone from Twitter. Uh, she talked, or on the topic of switching, she mentioned that it's often thought of as some, you know, super advanced scheme. But in reality, it's just, uh, you know, probably the most simplified scheme you can get. And I think a, a large reason why Houston, like, began to switch to everything is because, it's just easier to keep up, keep up with on at a group level. Uh, you know, everybody's on the same page in that sense. Um, and that just might speak to how young Houston is. You know, it's, it's tough to adapt a scheme or uh, multiple schemes with so many young players, um, you know, and that's not even mentioning, uh, you know, the, the lack of defensive talent on the floor as we discussed. Um, and so, you know, something I think we'll probably touch on this when we talk about offense as well is, you know, Houston should, go after some veteran players uh, ideal, which is lacking on the roster right now. You know, Eric Gordon and Boban are the only players over 30. And, uh, you know, to me, Eric Gordon is a, you know, he's still a fantastic player, but to me, he just, he looked a little checked out uh, last year. And, you know, so yeah, having the veterans point being is uh, just to be able to keep the young players on the same page, help them adapt schemes and uh, stuff like that. So. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw a quote from Eric Gordon Media Day. He's like, someone asked him about like if he wants to like stay in Houston or something along those lines, and he's like, "Yeah, I do, but you know, I also want to win a championship." And it's like, well, you know, I don't, I don't know <laughs> yeah. if that's, that's happening here in like maybe the next decade. You know, I don't know about that one. Um, so, I mean, his name's also been brought up in a lot of trade talks too. That's a guy they could should probably flip at some point. I know they might want to keep him around for that veteran presence. Um, and I, I think there is some benefit to that. Like you look at some of the teams that we're going to talk about later, like Indiana, like Orlando, um, 
like Detroit, you know, those teams have like just vets. They actually, you know, play in the rotation that kind of induce just positive, like good habits on the floor. Um, just in a bunch of like di- different ways, like setting good screens, like proper spacing, cutting, moving the ball, being unselfish, just things like that. I think Houston could use because a lot of if you just look at their backcourt, KPJ, Jalen Green, both those guys to me are more lean towards like the scoring first versus the the playmaking side. And you know that's something they can come with time, but they're not necessarily the most like natural and like willing playmakers at this point they're more kind of just like get their own buckets but we can talk about i think Jalen green is probably like the most exciting player they they have right here um gavin do you have anything you want to add about Jalen? yeah i was gonna i was gonna throw i was gonna talk about Jalen green's like kind of offenses because everything anything houston's gonna do going forward if they're gonna make a jump um towards improvement this next season not a jump into playoffs obviously but any improvement they make is going to run through Jalen Green offensively and you know just a look at a breakdown of his of his numbers I mean last year he he was he kind of caught on at the back end of the year I think he was um, he got hot towards the back end of the season especially after the all-star break but you know offensively um, he, he, he shot the ball pretty well um, he shot 34 percent on jump shots, which is actually, it's not bad. It's kind of middling, but you know, that was something that people were wondering from him coming out of ignite is how is his jump shot going to translate? Cause that was a little um, questionable watching the film then, but, and then um, he was, he shot 55% at the rim, which ranked 40th percentile. So, you know, both, both like not amazing numbers, but for a rookie who came in and, you know, he was, he's still, he was still just 19 for a lot of last year. You know, that was, that was really um, encouraging to see. And I'd like to see him add a little bit more of an in-between game. Um, we talked about this a little bit. I, I remember we mentioned this when we were talking about Keldon Johnson, who, who plays on the perimeter, but then also has that ability to go to the rim and like looking at Jalen Green's numbers and also knowing have watched him, how he plays in transition, you know, I think adding a little, um, like runner or like a, maybe a two foot like pro like pro hop and in, into a floater or something like that just a little more variety to his game he's so explosive that like it, it makes sense for him to get downhill um on the majority of possessions but just you know keeping teams like off balance and being able to have that variety in your game is really important and I expect that's something he'll add going into the second season um, I'd also like to add, I actually, I think, I mean, I'd be curious your guys' opinion on this. I think adding Jabari Smith, um, presumably in the place of Christian Wood is better for Jalen Green offensively and for the Houston Rockets offensively, because I think J- Christian Wood was a, actually a very good off ball shooter and would, um, was a respectable, you know, like pick and pop, like shooter on the perimeter as a big. But I think in terms of athleticism and what you can do with the ball in your hands, I think Jabari Smith offers more on that front. Like if a guy, if it gets kicked out to him and he can, he can pull the ball down and drive it and make a decision from there. I think that's more in Jabari Smith's wheelhouse um, than it would be um, from what we've seen from Christian Wood. That's not like Christian Wood, that wouldn't really be his game. So I think that will open up a lot for the offense. Like they're going to play similar roles, but Jabari Smith will be able to, you know, free up a little more space and um, create a little more offensively. I, I'd be curious to get your guys' two cents on that. Well, I think just Jabari is just, you know, he's more of that, like, catch-and-shoot game where Christian Wood's more trying to get into, like, those mid-post touches, trying to, like, self-create, where Jabari Smith's more going to act like a like a spacer at the four spot. Um, and, like, you know, he, he's shown a bit of, like, that in-between game, like, getting, like, his handles okay enough to where he can kind of get to his pull-up. Um, you know, there, obviously there's, you know, some some parts of his game, especially offensively, just, like, in terms of creating separation that he's going to need some work on for sure. And then to me, sometimes it's just footwork is a little off. Like, um, I don't know, it doesn't, doesn't always seem on balance, like a little sped up sometimes, especially he saw that in Summer League. And he's just more relying on rising up over people. But I think you just look at just big picture wise, like, you know, he's an elite shooter already coming into the league and like just from a standstill. And that's just already going to benefit um, guys like Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., guys that are trying to create off the dribble and make plays for Houston. 
Um, so kind of to wrap the Houston section up, what do you guys project this team like going into the season and maybe even a little bit into the future? Like what do you guys kind of envision the, the theory for this team is going to be? Um, I think the season is, I don't think they're going to make some sizable uh, leap in the standings. I think, you know, they still have, I, I think they will benefit from internal improvement this year, you know, starting with Jalen Green, um, you know, hoping you can continue that momentum that he uh, had at, at the end of the all or from the all-star break onto the end of the season uh, in which, by the way, he averaged uh, 22 a game on uh, 59% true shooting, 39% from three on eight attempts. Uh, so beginning with that, and as well as there are other young players taking the next step. Uh, but I think there's still issues, like I mentioned with the talent overlap uh, as well as, you know, Houston, uh, you know, there's there just question marks to me on both ends. Uh, so I, I figured they still be towards bottom of the standings. What do you think, Gavin? Uh, yeah, I would agree. I think um, it's still going to be a struggle this year. I'd put them firmly on the, you know, OKC trajectory in terms of this slow rebuild and kind of drafting a lot of talent and seeing who sticks. I mean, I think they've had, you know, six or seven first rounders over the last two years. Um, so it's going to be a while, but there's a lot of players that I'm excited about. And I think um, they're, it's good because I don't, feel like they're pigeonholing themselves with the talent they're drafting or the talent that they're acquiring is that a lot of these guys can do a lot of different things is and you know the guy guys that they're drafting can do something for themselves but also play off of the other guys that they're going to be on on the court with and I think that's the most important thing when you don't have a concrete direction or you don't have a concrete um you know projectable future I mean you have a projectable future but you don't you don't know what the immediate future looks like in terms of where you're going to be as a team, um, like playoff contention or whatnot. So uh, I think there's a lot to be excited about, but it's it'll be a good three to four more years, and um, and it'll take a a superstar ascension from Jalen Green, which is totally totally in the realm of possibility. So I, I'm I'm excited to watch Houston going forward. Yeah, I think just big question for them is All Prince Sangoon going to be their guy at the five, or do they? decide to tank for Victor Webinyama. I know there's some other centers too. I'm not a huge draft guy, but there's Kalel Ware um, who comes to mind. Who else is there, um, Gavin? Or just any of the lottery Kalel centers? Um, Oscar Tashibwe, the guy from Kentucky. He's a big one coming in. Um, you know, there, there's definitely, I mean, Webinyama is obviously the headline. Yeah, Webinyama, yeah. You know, but yeah, and that, and that is interesting because, I mean, guys like Kalel Ware is, you know, jumps off the, jumps off the page athletic more like a Kai Jones guide, very different from Sengun. So it'll be interesting to see if, um, if that's the route Houston wants to take after this year. So, yeah. And then maybe getting a three somewhere. I think we can now can transition though into Orlando for Orlando. I think the biggest question for them right now is their need to like parse out who's going to fit in the future plans. Cause right now they have like a legit, I don't know, like full rotation of guys that like, if they're, you know, if they're in your rotation, like I'm not complaining. So I'm just going to list some guys off that probably should be playing for them. Uh, so Jonathan Isaac, Markel Fultz, Wendell Carter, Gary Harris is hurt to start the season. I mean, Terrence Ross like played a role for them last year, just offensive, like just microwave. Paulo, um, Mo Bamba, Suggs, uh, Franz Wagner, Cole Anthony, Chuma Okiki, and now you're getting into a little shaky Terry like RJ Hampton, Bol Bol, I don't, you know, who who knows. Um, Caleb Houston showed some pretty interesting stuff at the wing during Summer League. Mo Wagner played a role for them last season as well. Uh, then now you're into some like their two-way guys like Kevon Harris, Admiral Schofield, um, Devin Kennedy. But, I mean, I just feel like their rotation is just pretty loaded right now. And there's just a lot of like positional overlap and I mean, it's always nice to have that depth, but the, the other part, or the other issue of that is not all these guys necessarily are going to develop at the rate you want. And I think that main issue stems in their backcourt where they have Fultz, Anthony, and Suggs. So I think this season for them is just going to be trying to figure out which one of those guys are going to stick, which one they might move on from. Um, so yeah, what do you, uh, we can start with Yash. Yash, what do you think of that backcourt for the, or the backcourt situation for Orlando? There are definitely a lot of mouths to feed 
uh, at the guard position. And to me, I think the way you decide who you go with at the guard is based on who you, first of all, are centering your franchise around. And that should be around their number one pick, Paolo Banquero. Um, so around Paolo, if you're envisioning him to be the leader, the captain of your offense, the, the leader, uh, I think you'd want guards that can play off of him. Uh, I think, you know, uh, it's not a huge necessity for guards that can, uh, you know, that they can that thrive in the pick and or pick and roll play is necessary, but guys that thrive with the ball in their hands, I don't think is uh, a total necessity. Uh, so I think guys like, you know, and this is obviously transitioning into the development. I don't think anybody's at the stage right now, uh, but the skill set of guys like um, we brought up Jalen Suggs, you know, who guys that can defend, guys, uh, guys that can cut, guys that can, uh, you know, hit that spot of three, uh, pass the ball, be that play that sort of connector role, I think is, is going to be key. Uh, so I think Orlando should be prioritizing the development of Suggs. And this is without even mentioning that he was uh, one of their top picks from last year's draft. Uh, though guys like uh, the Cole Anthony was uh, someone who also had a very promising season last year. Markel Fultz had a, a strong close to last season and as well as before injury. Uh, so it's up to them to balance it out. But I think Suggs is someone that they should look into as potentially their guard, their point guard of the future. You're muted, Gavin. Sorry about that. Technical difficulties. Um, uh, when I think of the magic, I kind of think about like guys that, or I think about a franchise. I just feel like the timing has not lined up in their favor. And when I say that you look at a guy like Chumo Kiki came in, had a year long knee injury, and then he was out and you kind of didn't see what he was going to develop into after you took him first round. Jonathan Isaac, I mean, he's barely played. He's been in the league three, four years now. He's played, you know, a handful of games. And then you got guys like – and then your backcourt is so clogged. Like, you traded for R.J. Hampton. You got him from Denver. But then you had also drafted Suggs, and you'd also brought in Markel Fultz, and you'd had Cole Anthony. So it just seems like, unlike Houston, where I feel like they've had a cohesive, like, plan, is like, okay, we're drafting guys high upside – can do a lot of different things they can fit in around guys I just haven't seen like what direction like you couldn't no one could really say with a definitive like with with conviction that they know what the magic's identity is going to be going forward now that I mean you know that's why we're talking about them in the bottom tier of teams from last year and probably going into next year as well but I just feel like you know it, I don't know who's going to really stick off of this I mean I out of the guards I'm a fan of Jalen Suggs the most but you know he's shown nothing to convince anyone that he is the future of the guard spot for this franchise especially I mean you know it, it was granted it was his first year but it was very below expectations and you know I like Cole Anthony a lot I think in terms of you talk about a guy who playing off of um Boncaro is the best. I think um, his versatility as a shooter is the is the calling card that will get him the most minutes. And then and then you think about the front court. I mean, how can how can Wendell Carter and Mo Bamba coexist together in a lineup? I mean, we've seen we saw a little bit of that on the Beyond the Arc Twitter. You know, running the back screens and little Wendell Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, passing ability. But is that a sustainable thing? Is that going to be a competitive? two-man big lineup in a in a playoff series uh that remains to be seen so you know I just I I couldn't even answer right now I have a, there's a lot of players that I really like and I'm looking forward to watching but I couldn't tell you what the magic's um what their what their image or what their identity is going to be going forward and who's going to be playing those five starting spots nonetheless so I'm going to push back on the notion that they don't really have an identity I think they're really going for just like athleticism on the wings because and like athletic athleticism and size right because if you look at their their roster like Wagner, Boncaro, um, Chimo Kiki, Jonathan Isaac like all of those guys are just like really like they have good positional size Markel Fultz and like Jalen Suggs too they even have positional size themselves just like being bigger bigger stronger guards that are like pretty athletic um, 
so I think there is some sort of identity there. It's just like they're in talent accumulation, but I don't think there's an issue with that just compared to like what they were like in seasons prior with like the Evan Fournier, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Vucevic team. Like after after that, they got rid of all those guys. They're just in talent accumulation, but they're just trying to get, um, they're just trying to get just talent on the roster, see who sticks. And I think that's what this year is for for them. That's that's what they need to figure out who's going to be the best around um, Franz Wagner and Paolo Banquero. Because I mean, those are the those two studs on the wings, um, and that's who they really should be building around. So. In my opinion, you guys can add on too if you want. Um, I think Suggs is probably the best fit because he. I don't think he really needs the ball in his hands to be as effective. Um, just looking at his synergy, I know I'm taking your synergy, your synergy spotlight, Gavin. But like, I mean, every everything except one area, he was pretty much like below the 20th percentile in points per possession, and that was cutting. Um, and I think Suggs, you know, he has the athleticism to and like just explosiveness to, you know, cut to the basket. He's he has pretty good feel on those. At least that's what uh, I've kind of noticed compared to like Fultz and Cole Anthony, where they're a little more ball dominant. You know, Anthony's hunting for those pull up threes. Um, Fultz is just trying to get like into the paint and like kind of wiggle his way into there. Uh, and Suggs, I think, you know, he can just play with the ball or he doesn't need the ball in his hand as much as those two to be effective. Like Cole Anthony obviously can shoot the ball, but like on the other end, you know, he's still like pretty small. He's six one. He's gonna struggle um, defensively. So maybe the move might be keep Suggs, Anthony, move on from Fultz, um, or maybe if you know you can keep Fultz and Anthony as like a good on a, like a good team friendly deal. Maybe have that be your backcourt rotation, or you know maybe. Get, get yeah, the good thing for them is yeah, the good thing for pool. them is they have time. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I was, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was going to mention that at some point, but uh, you know, there is a class of free agents that comes in uh, next off season. But I think in order for them to be remotely competitive in that market, they're going to have to show signs of uh, positive team culture, positive, uh, you know, and of course winning uh, to some extent. Uh, but I was saying, like, with their whole guard tandem, I think the good thing about them is you know their timeline around their franchise guys. Uh, you know, they have an extended period of time to decide it, considering that they just drafted Paolo. You know, he's only 19. They have time to, or they have some time for the group to grow together, and then they can begin to figure things out. Um, yeah. If, if it were, the only thing I would say, in addition to your point, Matt, is that I would hate to see them try to extend the light. Uh, well, no, that's not what I was trying to put it, but like, I'd hate to see them sacrifice the development of Anthony and Suggs, who, in my opinion, are the two, it should be the backcourt at the expense of trying to tail along or trying to extend the shelf life of Fultz and RJ Hampton. Because I think, I mean, you know, RJ Hampton's still, this is, he's going to be going into his third year in the league, and Fultz is still on the relatively younger side, being, having been drafted in 20, uh, 2017. So, you know, like, I think they magic still to an extent believe in them, but I would hate to see that they try, they sacrifice the development of Anthony and Suggs alongside Boncaro to try and see if they can weave in Hampton and Fultz in some sort of roles. I think that's just something to be wary of going forward because, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, especially in the playoffs with how much um, versatility you mentioned on the wings, like those, those are guys like, Franz can switch one through four, probably, you know, Okiki at his peak can be a, a, a one through four switch guy. Like you're probably realistically only going to have one of Suggs or Anthony on the floor in a crunch time playoff game. So to, to try and tail around, tail along four guards for development throughout the regular season between Fultz, Suggs, Hampton and Anthony just seems, um, just seems counterintuitive to all parties involved because no one's going to get the, the proper attention or experience they need to really develop into um, a contending level backcourt um, tandem. So. Yeah. I mean, I think we're in agreement here. I mean, that was kind of my point when I said they need to kind of like parse out like who they want. Cause like at the end of the day, like there's only like so much volume to go around. Um, and then, you know, if you're not going to let, like, let's say there's one guy that needs to, 
like needs the ball more they're not going to hit like they don't get the opportunity and now it's like the assets that kind of wasted in a way um I, don't, I just think Suggs is definitely their guy at the point guard just athleticism defensively um I know the shooting is definitely a question mark but I mean that's like the one skill that I think can be developed and I don't think like his form isn't like broken um so I think eventually at some point that could come along um you have Wagner and Bancaro three and four um and then probably probably Carter Jr. at at the center position Bamba you know has great physical tools I mean showed some pretty good like offensive potential last year but I just he's just not solid enough to me like in terms of just decision making like he's a little like slow on that end like if you put him on the perimeter he's a little weak with the ball sometimes like Carter Jr. is a little more solid better passer as well um just a bigger body so and also I think Carter Jr. is actually his handle is surprisingly good too um the key can kind of like attack closeouts especially against a big closing out on him get downhill so I think just trying to figure out who's going to be at that two spot and I, I guess if it's still a question for the magic who's at the one uh, I think now we can transition if you guys don't have anything to add to uh Detroit um so I think Detroit the question I have for them is just like where are they going with these like uh these vet these veteran additions you know in like the the Bogdanovich they I mean they still have Corey Joseph on the roster if I'm not mistaken um but yeah what do you guys think about Detroit and like those those guys they're bringing in yeah we talked about the value of vets and you know Bogdanovich is he's a lot more than that he's someone that's you know established in this league as a starter and you know, he's made his name on the offensive end as, uh, you know, one, his shooting is his number one attribute. Uh, he's an incredible shooter at 6'9". Uh, he's a very versatile shooter. You know, you can shoot off movement, off the catch. And, you know, things like that, are, you know, really complement what, you know, the Pistons young guards, uh, you know, Cade, Killian Hayes, can make things easy on them, help with their development. Uh, so I really like that addition. And if Bogdanovich has bought in, if he doesn't check out, uh, if he's willing to be a mentor uh, to some of those guys, you know, he's more than a shooter as well. He also, uh, he also has, a, uh, I think Matt touched on the, on this in one of his tweets. He also has a little mid post game and uses a size well, which are, for example, things that Kate can, uh, can pick up. So if Bogdanovich is willing to feed, play that mentorship role, help out with the team, I think it'll overall be a very positive addition for them. Um, and, you know, touching on a couple of the other vets they brought in, Alec Burks, and uh, Nerlens Noel, you know, Brooks, I, I like, you know, coming off the bench, he's a very solid, very steady presence at the point guard. He's, he's someone that can fill in right away in case of injury. Um, and, you know, he was someone, you know, knowing, I know this is a Warriors fan uh, in that lost season when they won 15 games, he was someone that the team absolutely loved. Uh, I, just overall a great culture guy. Uh, so I love that pickup as well. Um, yeah. And do you guys have anything to add? Uh, I, I forgot Alec Burks was on the Warriors for that bit. He was, yeah. I, I forgot I about that. There. <laughs> Gavin, you got um, anything? I would just – I look at their um, veteran additions as, like, they're great. They're perfect mentors to who they want their young stars to be. And I say that you look at Bogdanovich and then you look at a guy like Sadiq Bey and how he's developed and what he's been um, doing so well for his first two seasons in the league. And like I think Bogdan, Bog, like Bay can learn so much from um, Bogdanovich in terms of like how you can play make on that wing position, how you can um, your movement and like just like creating for others. Um, I think there's so much to learn there. And then you look at Nerlens Noel and Jalen Duran. I mean, that's like a like for like, you know, comparison right there in terms of a defensive anchor and how how um, Noel likes been. Uh, you know, kind of when he, that time that stint with the Knicks of how he played uh, in the in the pick and roll and things like that. And I think that's those are two perfect, you know, like pairings in terms of like bringing the young guys forward in their development and seeing how that's um, going to work out. Um, I'm interested to see how the the Pistons front court shakes out. I mean, you got so you have Noel and Duran and then you have Isaiah Stewart, who was the first rounder. Um, in 2021 and then you have Marvin Bagley who's kind of you know been the 
the new Caboclo two years away from two years away, like kind of like everyone, everyone thinks he's, everyone's kind of hanging on to, oh man, he was, he was this and that at Sierra Canyon. I don't know. It would be interesting to see what he does there. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm excited. I think there's a lot of exciting players um, on the Pistons that can, can make some noise this year. Not maybe nothing contention wise, but just, you know, a team to keep the eye, uh, keep your eye on going forward. Yeah. I think the thing with Detroit is compared to the other teams we just talked about, I think at least to me, they have more of a clear identity going forward. Uh, You know, Orlando does have a plan, but I think Detroit is actually actualizing it. Uh, You know, they have Cade, you know, they started to put some pieces around him. They got uh, Jalen Duran, that's uh, big to compliment him, uh, as well as their wings. The guard situation is a little iffy. Maybe Matt can touch on that. Uh, but I think they're headed in the right direction, and that's a good sign uh, for a young team. Well, I don't know if their guard position's iffy. I mean, you got Cade and Jaden Ivey, and I, I really oh, like Ivey. Oh, yeah. I forgot about <laughs> And Killian Hayes. And Killian Hayes. That's who I was thinking please, about. Please, okay. don't think, please don't forget Killian Hayes, top 10, former top 10 pick. He has nice. potential. He has potential. Never will be forgotten. Yeah. Oh, oh, I mean, one small little point, Killian Hayes, when me and Yash were watching a Pistons, a pitiful Pistons, uh, was it Pistons who? Uh, Pacers. Great way to spend our afternoon. Oh, by man. The way. Pistons, Pacers. Like, one thing I know, I think, like, Hayes, like, he, he knows the past to make. He just gets too locked in, like, tunnel vision um, on certain reads. So then the defense kind of knows it's going to happen. So he's telegraphing it in a way. Um, so, I mean, it was kind of a, a point I brought. It was just like being an instinctual passer versus like a reads based passer. And I think Killian right now is leaning a bit more towards like the read based passer, um, where he knows like, these are his options. He, I, he knows it. Um, but he's kind of getting tunnel vision on one then ignoring like the, the skip to the weak side of the, the guy shaking up from the corner. Uh, so sometimes he misses stuff like that. And that's why some stuff looks a little forced for him. But anyways, moving on from like Killian, yeah, I mean, obviously Ivy, Kate, I think the contrast is really good. Their skill set wise, Ivy is just like a really bursty athletic guard. Cade's a lot more um, like about like probing, uh, can play off the ball. Honestly, I think Cade in a way is more of a two. Um, but the, the issue with that, I'm not, I don't know if an issue, but Ivy also in college kind of played kind of a two guard role as well. So it'll be interesting to see if that works out. Do they have enough like primary, primary ball handling to make it all work? And Cade kind of take that leap. Can Ivy change up his game a little bit? Cause the perception is that he's a point guard, but in college he played next to another point guard who would handle the ball. Usually he'd come off, come off pin down, stuff like that. Um, so that'll be interesting to see this year. But yeah, you know, it just, that those vet additions, like you're Bogdanovich providing excellent spacing for that team. And I think there's, there's benefits in that where like they're The team's actually gonna be making reads that could apply in like a playoff setting when, you know, they're trying to win games, they have better personnel around them. Um, so Bogdanovich will give them some help with that. Um, and then, you know, in terms of asset play, maybe you can flip them trade deadline when teams are a little more desperate. Maybe the Lakers give up a first round pick for him, <laughs> but hey, the Lakers yeah. are coming up soon in this segment. <laughs> next episode not not we're not we're not there yet next, we're not that next time, next time. Yeah. <laughs> come on now. he's in, he's in denial he's in denial about it <laughs> yeah um yeah we can move to okc now so i mean they're rebuilding again like oh, oh he's right he's santa Cla- oh jalen williams yeah jalen williams it's a, no look at the whole team we'll look at the whole team i'm surprised i didn't hear a, a cal poly shout out for david nawaba on the rockets but you know it's okay it's whatever <laughs> wow it We're gonna be nice this year. cal poly basketball on the come up all right, oh my all right, God. All right. moving on go. moving on okay um two cents okay, about the thunder yeah um Okay, well, I mean, you know, the obvious, it's it's really tough to lose Chet, and that changes the whole perception. And of, SGA, too. I would have told you that. Right? SGA beginning And SGA. Yeah. He'll be back by the I start didn't of the year. official report. How oh, long okay. is he out for at this point? Yeah. Do we know? I mean, I think from what I saw, he'll be back towards the start of the season. So that's not a long-term concern for them. Yeah, I mean, that, that really – yeah, I think he'll be all right. You know, maybe they'll sneak in a few, you know, less wins. Maybe get a different, tall, lanky, uh, seven footer. 
Um, but yeah, I know it just sucks not having Chet playing. I really wanted to see him play. Their big rotation is yep. looking at pretty bad right now. I mean, Jeremiah Robinson Earl's projecting to be their starting center, which is he's a good good player, but I don't know. And then you got Derek Favors on the roster still. He'll probably soak up minutes there. They brought back Mike Muscala. That's something. Um, Sniper. Kendrick Williams. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like the. I, I I don't know. Just in general, I'm in favor of having like vets on the team like for a young team, so they just don't just develop bad habits and kind of mess themselves up moving forward. Um, but besides like the obvious like SGA and also for speaking of SGA really quick, um, I've heard some stuff this off season, just like quotes from him just saying, Oh, I worked on playing like off ball, which I think could really benefit him. Just like playing off the cash. Like imagine that like, he's getting a dot from like Josh Giddy, and then boom, now he's going at the basket without having to do so much creation, even though he's excellent at that. Like, he's one of the best in the league. Um, but now, you know, it just it makes it a little easy for, easier for him. Um, Josh Giddy's worked on his offensive game, it appears, I think. Um, this this year, just like better shot, um, kind of improving that. But yeah, Josh, what do you what do you got on the this Thunder team? Yeah, so, you know, let's go a little deeper with the guards. Uh, you know, SGA, he's, I believe in media day, they asked him about off ball. And I think he said that, uh, you know, improving his off-ball game was actually one of his major emphasis during this off-season. Uh, so, you know, as Josh Giddy continues to get more touches, uh, you know, it is important for Shea to be able to play off of him. Um, and that's actually something that Josh Giddy does really well. Uh, surprisingly, you know, that was maybe one of the the few the bright spots that I saw when I was watching Thunder games. You know, Josh Giddy, you know, specifically with his cutting, uh, I think you know he's fantastic in that department already as a he was as a rookie. Uh, and, and that wasn't just making simple cuts. You know, he was able, really able to read the floor. You could see that uh, the sort of instinctive passing, uh, his ability to see the floor uh, in that regard really translates to how he plays off the ball. Uh, you know, I thought uh, his cutting really made him, uh, you know, a valuable asset and will continue to do so uh, as they figure out that guard dynamic, which is uh, a little awkward at this point. Um, but, you know, moving into the front court, uh, this is where things get interesting for them right now. Right now, they have Ludor under contract, who they just signed to an extension. Uh, you know, I've talked about Ludor in the past, who I really like him. Uh, you know, someone who I think can really contribute uh, at a high level on both sides of the ball. Uh, but I think there are concerns with Dort next to those other two, uh, beginning with his jump shot. And, you know, that's where someone like Jalen Williams, uh, who really made a showing for himself in the summer league, uh, could you know his development should be something to look out for and you know another two-way guard and i'll or two-way forward and i'll pass it to gavin here uh to talk on him more uh but just watching his development will be key for okc this year uh gav what do you have to say about jado um i'm expecting i'm expecting big things from this year i'm excited um to watch him of course but um and to, I agree with you on on that front. It's, again, you know, I kind of think about when we're talking about these younger teams, and obviously the end goal is contention. That's the end goal for all teams, but these teams that are acquiring massive amounts of young talent, you think about end goals of playing in the playoffs and competing. And I'm trying to think, I try to think in my head, like how would this team, you know, stack up in a playoff? Like how do you stack a five-man lineup? And, you know, you think about Dort and you were talking and you, you said – front court and you like think like okay so if you have Shea and Getty in the backcourt then I guess Lou Dort would be pushed to guarding threes but he's only listed at six three and you know he plays he plays bigger than he his size of course but you know he is just he's undersized and um you know that's hard to where where do you fit Lou Dort into a lineup where you already have two more offensively inclined guards so that's where I think Jalen does come in as a more like steady pieces I mean you know six six seven two wingspan he can definitely you know kind of punch above his weight in terms of like guarding bigger threes and fours you know that I don't think that'll be a problem for him um and then you know trying to fit in guys around that I just think it'll be interesting it's kind of kind of like the the thing we had with Houston is that they've had they have so much talent that can kind of play so many different roles and it's just going to be about fitting it all together and you know seeing what um what sticks and who plays best alongside, you know, who, I mean, Giddy, 
giddy offense offensively great pass phenomenal passer you know that's that's where he excels but and then defensively you know he's six eight but then is he is he able to guard up is he athletic enough to you know play on the wing like these are all questions that were will have to be addressed um you know just with matchup and lineup tinkering and you know seeing who seeing who um works together in a five-man combination so i'm just kind of kind of interested to see how that works out yeah an interesting thing i just literally thought of this right now i don't know if you guys saw alex hoops most recent video um he made a video about like the raptors team building process how they just, you know have a lot of length on the the wings like with Ananobi, siakam barn all those guys and just over you know positional size like all over the place except you know center like not not as much but that's kind of the theory of their team if you look at the past few teams we talked about orlando detroit okc like they kind of have that similar model where they have a lot of um length like even like one through four i mean detroit you have Cade, Cade, ivy um bay uh and then you know some like some of their bigs off the bench and then looking at this this okc team especially like i mean you got Let's see, let me pull up the roster really quick. You got like Jalen Williams, like Chet Holmgren, obviously, like SGA, Lou Dort, Jang, Josh Giddy. Like they're loading up on these like lankier wings too. And um, and then Alex Hoops made the point in his video, like this is kind of going to be the future about for like team building. Like teams are really going to load up like on these positional size guys. Like it's the quote from Masai um, Ujiri, if like the goal of offense to create space, the goal of defense should be taking it away. Right. And that and by having those like p- just positional sides all over the place, like that's exactly what you're going to do. So these two, these newer teams, you know, they have a little bit different of like team building structures that kind of like the other teams in the NBA have now. Like they're just a lot lankier, I think, just like they're young guys. And like, uh, let's see, like what's a really good team, like the Clippers right now. Like I know the Clippers have a lot of wings, but I just feel like the OKC, like OKC, like even Orlando, but they like, kind of take that to the next level in terms of just positional size, like all over the place. Maybe Clippers weren't the best example, but like another, see another really good team, like, uh, I don't know, like Brooklyn, like just a lot of like really guard heavy at times. Um, that kind of, that style of building might not be as viable in a couple years down the line, but a bit of a side tangent. Um, do you guys have anything to add on OKC? Yeah. Um, your last point actually perfectly segues into this, but now I want to talk about Mark Dagnall. Uh, you know, watching OKC, I thought what he did with their defense was actually really promising. Um, they were actually, you know, while they were competitive, so while their core was healthy and, you know, before the the last stretch of the season where you could tell that, you know, based on the guys who they're playing, that they weren't playing competitive basketball. Uh, but when they were competitive, they actually had a very strong defensive unit. Uh, they were, their defense at the start of 2022, I think, for – until like mid-February, they had a top 10 defensive rating. And a lot of that had to do with the scheme that Mark Dagnall implemented. Uh, they were actually one of the more, uh, how do I say this? The more shrinky defenses. Uh, you know, they gave up a lot of corner threes, a lot of, above the, they gave up a lot of perimeter shots, but in exchange for that, uh, they took away shots at the rim by overcompensating, collapsing, you know, taking away that space. And this goes back into, the, the length and the size that OKC has on the wing, you know, even though they lacked that center that we talked about, that seven footer, they made up for it with, you know, how their personnel, uh, you know, really played into the gaps, uh, you know, help the helper. I thought they, they had really strong defensive fundamentals for a very young team. And that's why I was particularly excited to see Chet in that unit. You know, he has a different dynamic with his room protection, but I think they already have a good foundation already. Uh, with Lou Dort as their number one perimeter stopper, uh, Giddy size, Shea, who I think has some underrated, uh, you know, defensive potential. Obviously, we have to speak potential because hey, he wasn't showing, he hasn't been showing anything on that end to this point. Uh, and as well as Darius Baisley, who I don't think we've mentioned, you know, his rim protection, uh, yeah, at, with the size, length, vertical ability, uh, really brings that defense complete. And, uh, you know, I think, Mark Dagnon is someone who they should keep and, you know, continuing to build upon that culture is what uh, will potentially take them to the next level moving forward. Yeah. I think culture building for all these teams, 
um, is really important, especially in these early stages where you're not building those bad habits that down the line you you realize like our team just you know doesn't really know how to win. I know that's a bit cliche, but I think there is definitely some uh, some truth for that. So speaking of a team that's not loading up on positional size, we have the Indiana Pacers here. Elite segue right there. Yeah, crazy segue right now. You're going to start Benedict Matherin at the three. I mean, no, no shade to Benedict Matherin. He's probably more of a two. Um, they really have, like, no wings on this team. Um, I guess Aaron Neesmith, but he's always looking panicked on the court, so who knows with that guy. Um but yeah, in, in all seriousness, um, well, uh, I don't know how serious because uh, I think this might be the worst of the bunch, <laughs> this team. I, I was going to say, like, they finished the best record-wise last season, but they might end up being the worst of the five teams we're mentioning. Yeah, kind of, especially, you know, Miles Turner sounds like he's going to head out. I don't know if you guys saw that athletic article. Um, the beat right, the Indiana Pacers beat writer said it's pretty much inevitable now that or he implied that heavily in his article that um, Turner's going to be on the out. You bet Heald's probably going to be shopped around, and I think Heald's actually even a bit detrimental to their team's development too. Because although he does space the floor, he's also taking a lot of like self-created shots that he's not he's not really like creating for others. He's just more hunting for his own three ball, which is I mean perfect for a contender, but you know that's not what the Indiana Pacers are right now. Um, he's also pretty good at that too, so he's going to make a lot of them. Um, so I wouldn't try to move him ASAP. Um, but yeah, I mean, this this team's just talent-wise, just not really there. I mean, they still have Goga, Batazde. I mean, Jalen Smith showed some stuff. Um, but, you know, there's not really anyone to me on this team that's a really, like a creator, like someone's really going to bend the defense. I mean, Halliburton's supposed to be that guy. But I think of Halliburton more in that and more of that like secondary creator type mold than like a primary guy. I don't really buy. I just I don't think he gets deep enough in the paint to draw help. Um, and I know like there's all like the jump pass stuff where he's like doing all that eye manipulation. But I think at some point teams are gonna you know they're gonna they're gonna figure out how to guard that. And then now it's, he's gonna have trouble because he doesn't always get to the basket. Doesn't can't really can't go to his left. That's another thing. He really can't go to his left hand at all. Um, isolation situations, he just really struggles. He really leans in that, like, step-back jumper to his right. Um, but, yeah, thoughts thoughts on the Pacers? Yeah, uh, they don't have that clear-cut uh, franchise guy, like you said, even though they have penciled in Tyrese at that spot. Uh, you know, the, he has drastic improvements to make as a scorer before uh, he becomes anywhere close to that level. Uh, but moving on to, uh, you know, the guards and wings, uh, you know, uh, Buddy Heald, as you mentioned, is uh, someone that could be moved. So, you know, we besides him, they have Chris Duarte uh, at the two and their recent draft pick, Benedict Matherin, you know, both of whom are you know, similarly sized, 6'5", 6'6". Uh, they play on the perimeter. Um, I can't speak too much on Matherin's game, but Duarte's, uh, you know, he – he came into the league as an NBA ready prospect. And uh, a lot of that had to do with the shooting, his, his defense. Uh, so that, that will be a good compliment alongside Halliburton, who is uh, largely limited on defense right now. Um, their big situation to me is what's most interesting. Uh, they have talent uh, as Matt brought up. They have Jalen Smith, uh, who's pretty, who's pretty unique in his ability to uh, spread the floor at six, six, 10, six, 11. Uh, he has some length as well, which, uh, he's on the defensive end and Isaiah Jackson, who got that dog. 6'10". In. Yes, indeed. Uh, I, I, I Jax, as he's called, you know, he leap out the gym. Uh, you know, his highlight tape is, is ridiculous. You know, I recommend you guys check him out. Uh, but yeah, him and Howie sort of began to build a bit of a synergy last year at that little pick and roll partnership. Uh, you know, Halburn vertical sp- spacing, complimenting Halburn's, uh, passing ability so you know I, I want to see them continue to build upon that this coming season uh, but you know as you mentioned this is a team that uh, is lacking a bit in the talent department at least in my opinion uh, so you know I, I and I agree with you guys I think they will be at the bottom of this group that we brought up Gavin do you have any thoughts um yeah I'd just say like 
you know, looking at it, it's interesting on the big front because, like, they have these bigs that, like, I, I like Jalen Smith a lot. I'm a big Jalen Smith guy. And I liked Isaiah Jackson. I even like Goga Bataze. But the thing is, for so long, Goga Bataze, Matt's giving me looks. Goga Bataze Goga? was like, he wasn't like horrible. You watched some of like, it was very limited, but some of his best stuff was was not bad. I mean, it's more he just never got the opportunity. No, but, that, that was going to be my point is yeah. that they committed to the Sabonis-Turner relationship for so long. They invest. Goga was a top 20 pick. Isaiah Jackson was a top 30 pick. Jalen Smith was a top 10 pick, and yet they go into the season with them as they, I mean, assuming Miles Turner gets moved, those are the primary bigs, and yet you don't really know, like, what you have in these guys, or, like, you don't know what these guys are going to offer alongside guys like Mather and Halliburton. Like, well, how well, is I think, that? Part- I think Isaiah Jackson's clearly the best one right now, just as being, like, a true five. Like, I think he's the best finish out of all of them out of the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, he just, you know, he plays a lot of energy, and there's there's been flashes of him just being able to shoot the ball from three. I mean, Jalen Smith, I think he could even lean towards more like a four. I just don't know yeah. how good defensively he's going to be at the five. I, I don't really know how that's going to yeah, work out. Yeah, but that, that's what I'm saying. That's what I was just – I agree with those fronts. But I'm saying, like, your hesitancy, you're kind of like, well, he's maybe he'd be more of a four. Isaiah Jackson, what's he going to – you know, what's he stre- – like, outside of five feet, what is Isaiah Jackson going to do? You know, like – these are questions like it's hard, like because they committed so much to the Sabonis Turner pairing for so long during these guys development, you don't really know what you have going into this season where they're probably that, uh, you know, specifically Isaiah Jackson, Jayla Smith, but even Goga, like you, you don't know what that uh, pairing, what those that um, front court's going to look like or how that's going to fit alongside the team, which is ultimately why they end up um, being so they're going to end up being in the bottom echelon of teams and probably the bottom most team. And I'd also note that it's just like interesting, like their wings guys like Duarte, Nesmith, um, you know, healed Matherin, like there's no like true six, eight, six, nine. I mean, we were discussing earlier, like the wings, like on the magic, you got Isaac, Okiki, Franz, who are all six, eight, nine, and 10. And like, these guys like are not like when it really comes down to it, like a true wing, like, if you're barely pushing six six, like I mean, six six is the listed. They're probably more like six five. Like that's really hard to play, like winning basketball with them at the wing position. Like especially defensively, I feel like I mean, Matherin plays well above his size, and you know, Duarte is a is a good defender, but just like lacking physical physical attributes and size, I think is just you know something interesting. Like I feel like all those guys are more better served as as twos than threes or threes or fours so yeah that's exactly what i was gonna say i think all of their guys that they're probably playing the three lean more towards a two than a three when it yeah. maybe even should be the opposite they should be a three leaning towards a four that's yeah. just that's just my opinion that's why i segue the way i did the one team out of this that doesn't really have any positional size anywhere the, the only guys leaning three towards four are i mean kendall brown who's on a two-way and then o'shea brissett who's actually been you know, credit to O'Shea Brissett. He's quietly had like, I like some very various uh, efficient seasons for Indiana. Just you know, doing his job, like not eye popping numbers, but you know, he's gonna he, he'll he can get you a bucket. He can he can get you a hey, bucket. If it wasn't for his play that the last real Sabonis year, I want to say like they wouldn't have made the playoffs. Like he was starting at the four for them. No, he was. He, he was. Yeah. Oh, really? He was. Yeah. He was really. Yeah, that was yeah, his yeah, rookie yeah. year. He was like an undrafted rookie. He was starting at the four for them. Yeah, I had him in fantasy basketball. Absolutely god. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, Yash, what do you got? Uh man, I don't know. There, I mean, there really isn't much to talk about. You know, I've I've talked super. This entire segment's been pretty down on Indiana, but that's one of the teams I'm going to actually watch the most next year. This too smells I just like have some random... Henderson. Yeah, well, I don't. Think, I mean, I don't they, think... they just need talent, you know. Talent. They don't need another from next year draft class. They don't need another game. guard. I they need. Think... They need someone to kind of like you know. It's guard over the drink for the team. All you know? these teams. It's guard they, they overkill with all these teams. I think Nemhard. Yeah, you got you drafted Andrew Nemhard. You got T.J. McConnell, who you just resigned. Uh, like, none of those. Man, I mean, I think like the Pacers. Yeah, the Pacers are not in the position to be like. 
picking and choosing, in my opinion. Like, yeah, maybe I mean, with Halliburton, if they do feel so strongly Hall- about him, maybe Hall- Halliburton maybe they should Halliburton, be Otherwise, Halliburton was lottery. Matherin was top ten. So you've already invested two top ten picks. I mean, I don't know. I like. I agree. Like, but if you end up if you end up at like number one position, then you got to well, take okay. best player available. Okay. Well, you get yeah, one bunny, yeah, exactly. But like, I wouldn't pick. I would if it goes to two, then I'm. I wouldn't take Scoot. And you, you know, would. Hey, we'll talk about this maybe in a draft pod. Maybe. Later. Yeah, that this is yeah, true. We'll get into this. I mean, you just take the most dynamic talent available. Yep. That's that's I, what I, I think. It, you like, know, I agree on most fronts, but at some point, you just get it gets so congested. Like, how do you how? What you, if okay, Scoot Henderson listen, is the next Luka Doncic? Are you not going to take no, him because you have he, Benedict Mathurin on your team? Listen, it, but it's it's all uh, what I consider is I consider this uh, I consider invested capital. Duarte thirteenth overall, Matherin sixth overall, uh, Halliburton twelfth overall. You and then I mean, Nice Smith was also first rounder. Granted, he got he came. Oh uh, come on! Oh man! What? I'm just saying that's invested <laughs> capital. You've invested. You have four first round picks on your roster at the guard one or two positions. Yeah, but even you're gonna go get have like a, I don't want to use the word generational, but you have a, a really good prospect right in front of you that probably is gonna be better than any of the guys you have in your roster. You take that guy, like even if positionally I mean, doesn't match up. Yeah, we we just saw an example of this like 2018. You know, Dallas drafted Dennis Smith Jr. I believe the year before, right? Am I not missing? Yeah, before Luca, right? Yep. And then you know, top five pick. And then they ended up tight taking Luca a year later. And, you know, you see how that unfolded. When this you have true. that level of talent, you just have to end up taking Dennis Smith. Player. Dennis Smith wasn't like really jumping off the page for a top 10 pick that first. I know, but, you know, he was a, he was a top 10 pick. You know, that's capital. This is, this is true. This is true. No, I agree. Hey, well, Neesmith, that production looking crazy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I still believe in Neesmith. 99th percentile catch and shoot shooter coming out of uh, like Vanderbilt. five attempts in, in like 10 years no, on like eight attempts. No, 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 time out. I'm talking about, I'm talking about his numbers coming out of Vandy. He was elite, literally, oh, yeah, like I know. one of the best shoot. shooters in the NBA draft database to date on certain amount of volume. Just, he was the best man, just gets so flustered when he plays, though. Like, he's just so sped up. Right now, Although, like, but he was playing for a Boston team that was competing for so long, like he got thrown in the fire multiple times. Where they were like, "Yo, you that gotta, is true." Like, I mean, I mean, gotta, if he's playing the same way he did in Boston here, like he's he's out of the league. Like he's not. I agree. Be an NBA I agree. Player. I agree with that. I agree with that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Any any more thoughts on Indiana? Uh, I have some like general broad questions. Um, Go for it. So I think we already answered this, but who's going to be the worst out of this group? Definitely Indiana. Yeah. Agreed. Indiana. Rick Carlo's not going to carry them. A couple more wins. <laughs> not a lot. Not a lot you can carry there. <laughs> Rick Carlo might lose some more hair. Yeah. Oh, my God. We're getting can't, he can't do that either. <laughs> oh. He's on the LeBron track. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yep, LeBron's going to catch a stray here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's been catching plenty of strays next episode. You you best believe it. Can't wait oh, to talk man. about the Lakers next pod. Can't That's be wait. Such a blast. Troy Brown Jr. Here he comes. Oh, oh my God. Savior. Um, okay. Right. So which of these teams are gonna take the most significant leap in terms of winning? This is a I think there's only two that have a clear shot at this. Should I go first? Go yeah, for go it. Go ahead, Yash. All right, I think Detroit. I, to me, they, they just give me the most confidence just because of their, uh, as I mentioned, their identity speaks strongest to me. I just think they have the clearest one, uh, clearest vision, so I think uh, they're ready to win starting next season. I, I know. I think Matt's going to ride with me. I'm, I'm picking Orlando. I think Orlando is going is to um, make that leap. I really – I, I didn't get to emphasize this enough in my uh, in the bit we did about Orlando, but I really really like Franz Wagner, and I think his development into a, a offense like offensive talent from just over the course of one year has been nothing short of phenomenal. And I really and then you only you add a player like Boncaro, the only place to go is up. And I I would have picked OKC if Chet was healthy, but I'm gonna uh, I think Orlando's clear cut from that group. Dang, you're high on Chet for someone who wanted to pick Jabari Smith first overall in the draft. I still, like, I still like Jabari Smith. I just say I think Chet and what what else they did with that team, you know, Jalen Williams, Usman Diang, you add Giddy, you add Shea. Like that, that's it's all the pieces combined. 
Uh, let's see. You're what not going to pick Magic? No, I was going to pick Detroit. You're wrong. Really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, them adding adding Bogdanovich is like huge. Like, I think Bogdanovich is like really, really solid player. That's going to be good for winning. But then that's the question. Like, why do they do they really want to like make the play in this year? Like, like are they yeah. really ready for that? Like, does this team have enough talent? They think um, that you can kind of run with this group, grow this group, add whatever you get from free agency. Because if you go for the play, your pick is not going to be as good, right? Right. And then now it's like, what if they don't have enough talent? What if they kind of get stuck in the middle and now you're now right. you're in trouble? But right. you know, maybe I, Cade, Cade Ivy, Sadiq, Durin, like I, I I like that group. I guess you can throw in Killian Hayes. I guess. I think I, I think that would be a mistake. I think they need at least one more elite wing guy to um to complement that group. Maybe maybe not elite wing guy, but like, you know, like like skimming like Sadiq Bay level wing to because I mean realistically Bogdanovich only has like probably two to three years more of a, like the production that makes him so good like at this point that I, that would be my my take at this point but you know I can totally see Bogdanovich saying like what the heck am I doing here like why am I playing with these guys <laughs> yeah exactly I mean, he go he did He's go from Utah it. to Detroit it's kind of like you're, you're you're on the same plateau there yeah hopefully I mean they get him to buy in and like yep help them out a bit it's just yeah that's just a question for me like do they have enough talent to where now is the time you're gonna start progressing towards like significant winning like is now that really the time. I don't know, it's it's tough, and then you know they still might get pushed out anyways, just because the teams ahead of them, like um, like just looking at the the NBA standings, currently stalling right now as they look at the NBA standings. Um, let's see, they got Nets, or I'm looking at like the plan for last year. The last year plan was Nets, Hawks, Cleveland, Charlotte. I mean, New York was at the 11 seed, right outside the play in. Um, Wizards are obviously Washington. trying to win. Yeah, yep. man, the East dude, the whole conference is just so man, tough. They, they might get Bogdanovich, and they still might be like only one seed higher than last year, even though they might have a lot of internal growth and adding Bogdanovich. Yep. That's very feasible. I mean, I think they'll be ahead of Washington. Oh, Washington. Hey, Washington. I don't want. We'll I don't want to talk about time. Washington, dude. That's the most boring team ever. Coming up in the next. I, I think they're fun. I think they're fun. Yeah, we'll talk about them. Red flag. You and James Boo, man, liking these weird teams. Um, Shout man. out James Boo. We'll have him on soon. Shout him out, yes, sir. <laughs> All right. I think this is a good point. We can wrap it up here. Uh, thanks for listening to our first uh, episode of this covering all three team series. Um, we'll have our next set of five coming to you soon. Thank you for listening. <laughs>